Robinson, however you give to the church, we are grateful. And hopefully you're seeing all that you're giving going to the purpose of the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing to see the gospel truck going out doing great things? Like yesterday we were at Ohio Park. Everything was F-R-E-E free. Somebody say free. Amen. But we know it costs somebody something. It's going to the people as free. But for you, it's your tithes and offerings. So thank you so much. My wife and I and the team are so blessed to have you with us. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Is anybody here that got baptized? Anybody here got baptized? Raise your hand. A few. Let's give it up for those who got baptized. Amen. I dedicate this message to the ones who got baptized. I dedicate it to you, to you, to you, to wherever you were over there. Come on. Luke chapter 15, prodigal sons and daughters. Luke chapter 15 tells us one of the most famous parables in the Bible, starting in verse 11, about the prodigal son. When we look to this scripture, we see that Jesus is teaching us a lesson that we can understand no matter how old, how young, how educated we are. Now, before I get into this parable of Jesus, somebody say parable. Thank you. Before I get into this parable, isn't it amazing that Jesus taught us in parables? How many think like he could have came down and like been really impressive, spoken big words, and lost all of us? Like he could have gone right over our heads, but he comes and speaks in parables. There's something that I was sharing about this yesterday at Ohio Park with one of the young people, and I would like to share it here because it's something that we take for granted and we shouldn't. This is not found in any other kind of religion, uh, any other religion, this kind of teaching. Now, don't get me wrong. There are parables in other teachings, uh, other teachers. Some other religions use them, but not the way Jesus does. Jesus doesn't use them to try to get you to think how smart he is, how amazing he is, or to try to get you to self-discover something. He's telling these parables in such a way for you to understand the Father's heart, because he knew the Father's heart, didn't he? How long had Jesus been with the Father before he came to earth? For eternity, forever, right? Now, I was telling one of the young people this, and I said, imagine you are playing your video game. And while you're playing your video game, you really like this character. But the character in the video game keeps getting killed, keeps dying, keeps losing. Now, imagine if you had the power to go inside of that video game as a part of the video game. What would you do to help that person? That video game character. Maybe you would, you know, teach him some things and say, hey, jump higher. Maybe it's Mario. You're trying to help Mario. Hey, jump a little higher. There's something going on over here. You need to know about this. But think about how ridiculous it would be for you to go into the video game and then as a video game character, let Mario or his friends kill you so that you could do something for Mario or for his friends. Just think about that. That would almost be absurd. The example itself is almost absurd. Us becoming a video game to let the characters in the video game kill us so that we can help them. See, this is just the beginning of us understanding the incarnation. 
But it's a lot deeper than just the character is struggling or the character needs help. When you read the Bible, we are sinners. We have sinned against our God. And the Bible says that we brought the weight of God's eternal justice against us. This is why, everybody track with me, why eternity in hell is equal to your life of sin on earth. Oftentimes people have tried to weigh out that balance. I'm only alive for 70, 80 years, but then if I do it wrong, I go to hell forever? That doesn't make sense. How many have ever heard that before or thought about it? Any deep thinkers here? 80 years of living as a sinner, sure, it's bad. Maybe they did something wrong. But hell should only be 80 years of hell or 160, double. You know, give them double the punishment. Why is it, people have asked, that we live for 70 or 80 years, but our punishment is for eternity if we're sinful? See, this is part of the understanding of the story. The reason why our sin is detrimental to us for eternity is because we have sinned, even if it's just one time, against an eternal God. Everybody go, hmm, ah, that's deep. You got to think about that. You see, when we sin against each other, we're temporary people. We're temporary. And so, yes, our Issues can be resolved in temporary settings. But how do you resolve an issue that you have started with a God who is boundless, timeless, all-powerful, and self-existing at all times and places? How do you go back and make that up? How do you just erase that? You can't. Now you understand the reason for the Son coming in the flesh. Jesus is not just coming because he had nothing else to do. Jesus is coming because only God could fix our problem. So think about it. If God did not want to fix humanity's problem, what could he have done at the time Adam and Eve sinned? He could have hit delete restart the video game for staying with that illustration, and there they go. Delete the program, never see Mario again, all the data's gone, forget about them. But hold on for a second. Remember we just said, remember that we just said that Adam and Eve sinned against an eternal God. Remember that. When Adam and Eve sinned against an eternal God, did God know that Adam and Eve would have children that would go on for so many years? Yes or no? Did God know that Adam and Eve would have children and their children have children? So hold on. Could Adam and Eve be the only ones deleted here? No. If you understand God and his power and his sovereignty, if he would have deleted Adam and Eve, what would he have been deleting at that moment? All of mankind. So when people try to bring up to me that somehow hell is not fair, I say the very fact that you're living already shows God is more fair than you could ever imagine. Because you and I could have had our existence, the video game turning on in hell. Imagine playing a video game where the character just starts in hell. And they never leave hell. And all you're doing is playing the character in hell. That's what it would have been like for humanity if God, when he saw Adam and Eve sin, wanted at that point to have his justice resolve the issue with no mercy. Somebody say, no mercy. So now, could he at that moment, if he wanted to have mercy, could he have sent an angel to die on the cross? Could he have done that? Yes, but would it have solved the problem? 
No, because angels are not eternal. He would have had, everybody get this, to create an angel, an angel that now is starting to exist, to take on sin that was done against him that has no boundaries of past, present, or future. Could our eternal sin against an eternal God have been taken away by a finite creature, like an angel that has a start and a beginning? No. So at this moment, everybody get it. God made a decision. Now, when we say God made a decision, we're not saying like he made a decision like us. What we're using is our temporary language, language that's in temporal space and time, and applying that to the thought and mind of God because he would have always known this. The Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, okay? But I want you to see this in a sequence and things happening. At the time of Adam and Eve sinning, at that moment, the Father, Son, and Spirit had a choice to make. Do we delete mankind and have mankind suffer the eternal weight of their sin that they justly deserve? Because God can never go against his own character of justice, so they justly deserve this. Or do one of us come in the flesh to die for them? And not just die any old kind of way, like just show up in the flesh and fall over dead. No, we let them the very ones who have sinned against us, murder us, take our innocent life so that our innocent life as an eternal being, an eternal being taking on flesh, that innocent life could pay for all of their sins. Do you understand that was their choices? To just delete mankind or to take on flesh? Now, some people may say, well, how can God be just if he only deals with Adam and Eve and then we would go directly into hell? Because God in his wisdom and all power understood that if he would have gone one at a time, each one of us in the garden, we would have all sinned like Adam and Eve. So in his eternal wisdom, he just fast-forwarded through everyone and knew they would all be sinners anyway. So on behalf of Adam and Eve, all of us were going to go. We were either going to be able to exist on this planet be able to make another choice, the choice of redemption, or continue in the wickedness and suffer eternity in hell. How many now have a backdrop for the prodigal son that you maybe didn't have before? Are you guys glad you came to church? Had you ever thought about it like that? Gets a little deep, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to say I'm the only deep one and that it's wrong for you to try to be deep. Try it sometime. This is what theologians do. Sometimes we can gaze at our belly button, navel gazing, they call it. We can get lost in our own thoughts. But I thought that would be beneficial for you to understand because now you see what I was telling that young person or sharing with them is that imagine you entering the video game. It's almost absurd. For what? A character that you can just delete? And then in the video game, you're not just going to just offer some kind of help. You're actually going to be so loving and compassionate to let them kill you in the video game. Now imagine, just for a second, using the video game illustration. Young, some young people are with me. Older people, I know you're trying. Come on. Hang in here with me. How many, some old, how many older people still get it? You still get it? Okay. You guys get it. Track with me here. Now imagine this. In the video game... Before you allow the catastrophe to happen, before you allow them to gang up on you and kill you, you want to tell these people what the world is like outside of the video game. 
a greater world, a world that's not just two-dimensional or made up of bits and computer code, but you want them to know that what you're actually helping them for is going to transform them. Watch this. This even gets weirder, but I think cooler, that they can actually go from just being in a video game to come out of the video game into your world. That as you came from this world of reality into that video game, you now want to take them out of the video game into your world. Somebody say, God is spirit. Somebody say, we are flesh. So God is spirit existing outside of matter, space, and time, comes into matter, space, and time, and begins to teach us about things that are greater than matter, space, and time, so that when we lose this body, we can enter into his presence and dwell with him forever. And then, yes, he'll recreate, recreate the earth, as in this example, recreate the video game, but there will be a time where we'll be separated from this world. And only in his presence, for that was the reason we were made. Isn't that deep? Now imagine Jesus. He knows all about heaven. He knows where he has come from. He knows what it's like to be in fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was there on the day of creation. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that is made. In him Jesus was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Now imagine Jesus is here in this world that he created, breathed into man so they could live. He's interacting with them. What ways do you think Jesus is going to communicate to us? He's going to communicate to us in the most effective and the most personal way because he doesn't want it going over anybody's head. In other words, I might have ruined the story because now as I get into it, it's going to be so basic. You don't got to go deep. Are you listening? He is going to make it so simple that those who are listening can now get it. But everyone here that has heard this before, the reason why I want to get deep is because Paul says it is good to go beyond just the surface level to maturity and understand the things that are behind these stories. That what we are seeing here, everybody get this, it is not just something for us to have as a new believer or as a child to say, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't this prodigal son story sentimental? No, we're supposed to understand this is the love of God, and the love of God is the greatest force on this planet. You and I are not supposed to get so mature that we leave from this foundation. In our maturity on the foundation, we're supposed to build on it and forever be grateful that this is how God interacted with us. That's why it's a disgrace to think of ourselves as less than human. I know sometimes scientifically it may be correct to call us an animal because we are of an animal species and people will argue about that. But even then I still don't like it because we are not like animals. Animals are not made in the image of God. The Bible says in Hebrews that when he shed his blood, he didn't even do it for angels and he didn't do it for any other creatures. He did it for those made in his image. And the Bible goes on about this in different places. In the book of Psalms, uh, the, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him 
and the son of man that you care for him. And so we're not supposed to see the, the story of the prodigal son here and just go, oh, yeah, Jesus loves me. That's so cool. But, uh, you know, I'm ready to move on to other stuff. No, we're supposed to look at this and be blown away by the love of God and say, how could he love me so? How could God love me so? How could God love me so? How could you ever even imagine loving a video game like how God loved his creation? How could you love a puppet like how God loves us? How could you even love a pet unless you're crazy like how God loves us? Some cat people up in this house, some dog people. I know some of you all crazy. You got a problem with that. I know I'm half kidding. But we can't. It's not even. The, the closest we get, the closest we get is to our parent-child-children relationship. How many parents still love their kids? And you understand that, don't you? Jerry and Tony just had, uh, I believe, their third child. Addie, she's just precious. You can see her on Facebook. Literally, when I was in the back there, I saw it come up. You'll never experience that kind of love until you're a parent. But even then, we cannot grasp how great God's love is for us in comparison because it's not just we are uh, his procreation, we are his creation. In other words, God never had to make us, and he would still be just as happy without us. Let's be honest. A lot of times we wanted marriage and family to help us out, okay? I was a little lonely. Can I just be honest with you? And I needed that sweet thing over there, and part of filling your life is to fill it with children, Okay? So let's be honest, a part of us, because the Bible says it's not good for man to dwell alone. A lot of us, we look towards marriage and family as meeting needs. But everybody get this, that still, no matter how pure we can be in our marriage and how godly it is, and no matter how pure we can be as parents, because it's, it's part of our calling, there is still a part of us that is self-centered in it because we are doing and understanding it's also completing us. Everyone get this. When God created, or God, or rather when he had the choice to create or not create, that would make no difference to how complete he would be. Sometimes people have tried to make it real emotional, say God needed you, he was alone in heaven. No, no, God never needed us. He wasn't alone in heaven. Perfect love between the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity. So when people come to us with their arguments and say, well, God, you know, if he knew we would sin, why do you allow it to happen? It's like we're in God's little aquarium and he's setting us on fire like some crazy little child with ants, you know, in the magnifying glass. They don't understand our God. Our God never had to make us and he would have been complete and is complete without us. And so his love is so great. Everybody get this. That out of his perfection... He makes us for relationship, knowing that some will reject him and need to be punished. Because the cost of Jesus giving us free will will cost him a broken heart. A lot of times people only see themselves as the one being tormented because of their decision. And that is true. They bear the weight of it, but it also breaks God's heart. Because God didn't make them for eternity in hell. He made them for his own relationship so that they could have the benefit. And yet out of their own pride and selfishness, a sinner will remain in rebellion and rightly deserve God's wrath, which he will pour out, and at the same time it will break his heart. So in God's perfect love, not lacking anything, he invites us into that relationship, and then we make the choice to either 
give back to him what he's given to us, loving him with the love he's loved us with, or rejecting him, breaking his heart. Are you ready for the story of the prodigal son? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, let's go. Prodigal son here before you. Verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. Jesus continued. There were two other stories. I wish I could get into the lost sheep and the lost coin. Beautiful stories of God's redemptive love. This is the third one. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the guy comes and says, Dad, I know you're rich, and I don't want to wait till you die to spend it. Let me get it right now. And the father's like, okay, well, since you asked for it, I'm going to give you the inheritance, but I'll also give it to your brother just to be fair. Verse 13, not long after that, the money's burning a hole in his wallet, as they would say. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, which had really come from his father, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Nudge your neighbor and say, this is going to have something to do with you here in a minute. Nudge your neighbor and say, this is going to be coming right for you in just a minute. Just give him a little heads up. This is going to be where you're going to get involved in the story, okay? This part's going to be applying to you. He spent everything. Then there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen, and he began to work for him, right? So he hands himself over to another citizen. And then he begins to uh, work for him, and then he begins to take, the, uh, take on the job of working in the fields with pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. If you could just hold the place there, sir. Thank you. Does everybody understand the story thus far? Guy's got some money, but he's got two kids. We don't know where the mom's at. We know what's going on here. I don't know if mom would have let this happen, but dad's sure letting it happen, right? We know where the mom's at here, but the father... He's, he's got a lot of wealth. The two kids, they're living life. They're enjoying life. It looks like nothing really bad is happening to them. But one of them says, hey, I want, I want my inheritance. The father seems to be fair and goes, okay, well, I mean, it's going to be yours anyway, so I'll give it to you now. And he gives it to his brother. It doesn't last very long before. I'll go, go on very long before one of them, the one who got the money, says, look, uh, I can just go out and spend this right now. I don't need to, to stay around here anymore. I don't need my dad anymore. So he goes out and he wastes every, everything. And then he gets so broke that he begins to work feeding pigs. And he gets so hungry that he's going to eat pig food. Have you ever been hungry before? Yes or no? Have you ever been so hungry you wanted to eat pigs a lot? Okay, now you understand how hungry this person was. You're like, I've been hungry enough. I've wanted McDonald's. And some of y'all hate on McDonald's like that. Uh, some of you like, I've been so hungry, I've, I've eaten Taco Bell before. you hating on Taco Bell. Come on, somebody. Somebody got to like it. It stays open by me. I don't know why somebody always eating there, but they like it. But McDonald's, don't mess with McDonald's. Uh, but, you know, we've never been that hungry. Like, have you ever been that hungry? You looked at your dog food, and you're like, man, it looks good. I need to go get me some of that. I need to start eating what that dog is eating. You're like, no, I'm not eating what the dog is eating. That's not happening. I'm not that hungry. This guy was so hungry, he's eating what the pigs would eat. And my, my, um, my grandpa used to have pigs, and I understand what pig slop looks like. If anybody here has been brought up around a farm, you understand when you're done eating at your dinner table, you just take it all off, and you just put it into a bowl, you put it into a bucket, and then you bring it out. That's what it looks like. It looks like the corn that you ate corn on the cob, and you put all your, you know, your mouth on it and made it all nasty looking, but yet there's just a couple kernels still there. You know what I'm talking about. 
You throw that corn in the cob. That goes to them. You didn't eat all your green beans. They're mushy now. You just slide it off. I'm trying to make a point. Are you guys with me? This dude was hungry. This guy was busted and disgusted. Sliding it off, putting in the, the eggs you didn't eat, all nasty, mixed with everything else, throwing it there. The bread's all soggy. But the pig eats it. That's what the pig eats. This man was so broke that he's eating now what the pigs have. Now, remember, this is Jesus telling us a story. Jesus could have told us about astrophysics. Jesus could have told us about microbiology. Jesus could have blew your mind with the history of the world. Jesus could have talked to you about dinosaurs. Wouldn't that have been awesome? Jesus like, let me draw a picture of a T-Rex. These used to be on the planet. I used to play with them with Adam and Eve, you know? Go fetch, right? Like he's, he's around during those times. I believe dinosaurs were around during the time of Adam and Eve and early creation. That's a whole other story. And, and he could have gone on and tried to impress us. But look, he's telling us a story. And he's drawn it out to the point where we understand this dude is so poor, he's willing to do something gross. Nudge your neighbor and say, that's going to be about you in a minute. That's going to be about you in a minute. About you getting so desperate, you did some gross stuff out there. That's definitely going to be about you. Look at your other neighbor and say, for real, that's you. For real. I, I don't know you very, very well, but I know you well enough. You did some gross stuff. I can tell you came to church looking sanctified, but I know about eight years ago, if we did a playback on your life and put up that YouTube video, it would be gross. It would be gross right now, okay? Are you guys tracking with me? Some of y'all only tell part of your testimony because you don't want to gross us out. Does anybody else hear like that? I can't even tell you all my testimony. Just a little bit that I tell. Children go back home to their parents and say, is Pastor Joe a criminal? He talks about getting arrested. If I told you the rest of it, I would be red-faced and this church would be empty the next week. Okay? Now I know some of you, you're more sanctified than me, but just remember, Adam and Eve only sinned once and they got kicked out the garden. So don't get too holy now. I, you know, we're all holy in Christ, but without Christ, you better understand you were eating some gross stuff. You were putting your life in some gross places. You were doing some things out of desperation because you did it the wrong way. Let's all be honest. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods. You know, it's kind of like the husk that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No one had compassion on him. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Man, I'm surprised he didn't try to kill one of the pigs. Amen? He's probably more afraid of getting arrested, but that's how desperate he is. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, somebody say, when he came to his right mind. And that's what it also means. When he came to his senses, thank you, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. How many believe that was a good decision? Amen. Now we're getting to the end right here. But while he was still a long way off, now remember this is Jesus talking here. Jesus is telling us a story. You can begin to scroll, sir. Thank you. While he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Help this preacher preach, young man. Thank you. He was filled with compassion. Who saw him? His father saw him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and what? Kissed him. Jesus telling the story. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, if you did not know this story, where do you think it's going after this? Well, man, you messed up. Of course you're not worthy to be called my son. I'm going to get out a paddle. I'm going to spank you. You got pig breath. What is wrong with you? You stank. You are nasty. I'm whooping you. I'm, chonkla, I'm taking the chonkla off, you know. 
you are going to be punished. You're never getting out of this house again. You spoiled it. You, you ruined everything. You're, ne- you're never going to get anything nice again, right? That, like if you didn't know the story, if you didn't know how this went, if the greatest person of all of human history, Jesus Christ, hadn't already told you this, where are you going in your mind with this? In your mind, you're saying this joker is going to get it. Man, he ruined his whole life. He messed it all up. And not only that, because he didn't just mess up his life, he messed up what the father worked for. He didn't get that money because he saved it up. He didn't get that money because he had been grinding hard in the hot, you know, the hot days out there in the fields and doing whatever the work they had to do. He blew his father's money. Now remember Jesus saying this right here. But the father said to his servants, quick. Bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. How many many are glad God's not a vegetarian? Amen. Bring that carne asada right here with the tortilla. Bring all that cilantro. We're going to get down with this. We are doing this the right way. We are doing this the right way. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to what? Celebrate. Can somebody celebrate as if you never heard the story before? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Now imagine this. With all of the depth that I tried to give you at the beginning of the story, Jesus is there looking at people, and he's saying, your father wants you just to come home. Your father wants you to come home. Your father will not hold against you what you have done. He is not going to judge you with his wrath. You may have sinned against your father, but he is more more wanting you to come home and receive forgiveness and a celebration than he's wanting to judge you. And yet we have the audacity in our sin to run and hide from our God, saying, I'm not ready yet. But you're not ready to party yet with the father? You still want to stay in the pigsty? I talk to people living in adultery, not married. Oh, no, we're not ready yet. You still want to eat that, that garbage of this world instead of having a beautiful, blessed marriage? I talk to people addicted to different things. Oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. You know, when, when I'm ready, I'm going to do that. You mean you would rather keep eating all that pig slop than come get a fattened calf? It's the nastiness of this world. It's gross. But we've been deceived as a human race to think that the pig slop is is okay. I mean, I know there's something better out there, but it's okay. It's easier this way. And why do we stay there? Because of pride. Because when this young man came to his senses, what did he now have to admit to his father? I messed up. It was my fault. It wasn't yours. It was my fault. Now, I understand that there is a kind of pain that we can face in this world that people do to us. So I'm not trying to say everything we do is because of our fault. Does everybody get that? But a lot of what we do in our lives that causes us the greatest pain is what we've done to ourselves. And then we have the audacity to get angry at God. 
God, why doesn't life work out for me? Why is everything so wrong? It's because you dropped out of high school. You're driving an Uber and sleeping with three different people. That's why you're messed up. Well, God, I'm so anxious. I'm so depressed. It's because you're on Twitter and Snapchat 12 hours a day filling that garbage in your mind. Do you understand? Well, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. It's because you don't go to church. You keep going to the club. And now you wonder why you don't have friends. Oh, I'm so alone. I'm so alone. It's because you've never been a friend. You're selfish. And we now want God to feel sorry for us in that way, and he's merciful, but we don't want to take the responsibility. I remember when my parents kicked me out because I kept bringing drugs into the house, best thing they could have done. And then I got desperate a few different times and staying at people's houses. I was like the prodigal son. Some of you cannot relate to it in all ways, like eating pig slop, but I can even go there and eating leftovers and other people's food basically taking garbage and making it my own, wearing clothes that were dirty, okay, sleeping in my car, couch surfing. And I remember one time I got so desperate and scared because I just didn't feel comfortable in my car that I went to my parents' house and I said, can I at least sleep in my car in the driveway? And they said, yeah, you can do that. You know why they want to let me in? Because I didn't come to them yet and said, forgive me for I have sinned against you. They said, if you're going to still live with drugs and you don't want to repent of that, you, you know, you can stay in the driveway if that will help you be safe tonight. Thank God for my parents. That scares some of you guys. That's how my parents were. And that brought me to the Lord, I'll be honest with you, because they weren't going to allow me to bring sin into their house. Okay? That's got to, that's got to be honest with you. They said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, that's between you and how you see parenting, but that's just how I was raised. So I understand what that was like. But then there was that moment in my life, November 5th, 1995, where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of the drugs messing with my mind. I was tired of all the rejection that I had felt from my friends. I was tired of the pig food and the slop being in my mouth all the time. And I called out to my mom, and I said, will you pray for me? And she said, come home, son. And then I never left Jesus, and I didn't leave that home until I went to Bible college, November 5th, 1995. I spent over 20 years. God was good to me, and my mom knew how to stand her ground and to say, you're not coming here with pig slop, but you can come here smelling like pig slop and let me clean you. Because God loves us just the way we are, but too much to let us stay that way. He'll accept you in your sin. He'll accept you with the pig slop on your breath, but he's not going to let you come into his house that way. You need to say what the prodigal son said. And I want to be very honest with you. It's not just for the new Christian. It's also for us whenever we sin. Because as Christians, we can sin. I've gotten into arguments with others that they think a Christian can sin or not because Christ has taken all past, present, and future sin. That's a different discussion. But I want you to understand this, that when you and I violate the law of God, we still need to come in humility and say, Father, I sinned. I sinned. I'm sorry. I broke your law. I talked to my wife a way I shouldn't have. I treated my children a way that I should not have. I spoke to people in the church a way I shouldn't have. I've done things on the job that I I know you would not be a, a supportive of. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. That's the humility that we need to carry in Christianity because every one of my friends, and look up at me please, every one of my pastor friends that have cheated on their wives, every one of my friends that are no longer serving Jesus never saw themselves in the pig slop when they were in that sin. They thought they deserved it. 
Man, I put up with that crazy church all the time. I forgive all their sins. about time they forgive some of my craziness. And how many know when a pastor gets crazy, it gets cray-cray? It gets really crazy. But that's the way they think, man. They put up with you. They forgave your sin. Now forgive my sin. That's how they think because they don't see it as slop. They see it as some pleasure that God is holding from them and that now they deserve. It's like, a, like an itch they can now a scratch, uh, and you know, this itch they can scratch and feel better about it. They don't see it as cancer to their soul. And every time you and I forget our relationship to the Father and the things that he has done for us and we go back into that sin, we are sinning in that same kind of way. That's why I do believe in backsliding because if you notice, the Father says, my son who was once what? Dead. Well, hold on, the prodigal son was alive. Once saved, always saved, baby. We're children of God now, even though we smell like pig slop. And if we die, we still go to heaven. Not according to this. Not according to this. You die dead, and you no longer have an inheritance with your father, and your father doesn't come to the funeral because he don't care. He don't know where you're at. Or excuse me, it's not that he doesn't care. It's that he doesn't know where you're at to show his concern. And this is what the Bible says. When you hide yourself in sin and not hide yourself in the Lord, it's not that he doesn't care about you. It's that he's going to honor your decision and allow you to be separated from him. It's not that God does, I want to be very clear here, it's not that God doesn't care about us when we die in our sin. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says, but we give God no place to show his care and concern because we have separated ourselves from him. We are lost from him. If that son would have died, it would not have been because his father did not love him or care for him that he wouldn't have gone to the funeral. It would have been because he was separated from him. Does everybody get that? Thank you, Lord, for letting me clarify that. Glad I didn't catch that on my ride home. That's one of those times on my way home I go, man, I said that wrong. No, God still cares about the sinner. The Bible says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But as that son, if he would have died in that separated state, would not have had any honor from his father taken to the burial site or any of those things because the relationship was dead. There was a separation. It's the same way that we're supposed to understand Jesus is talking to us going, listen, If you are not in a relationship with your father, you are dead to him. If you are not with your father in your father's house, you are lost to him. And so we have to remember this. There's the story now of the brother, which I don't have time to get into. But this story encourages us to remember who we are and how much God loves us. We are God's creation. We are God's precious, precious sons and daughters. And he wants to have a relationship with us. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Vinny, would you come, please? I could go on for a little bit more, but I'd like to conclude with this and to encourage our people who got baptized today. Never let the world draw you away from your father's house ever again. Stay with your father. Now you might say, Pastor, well, what if I do sin if I'm in the father's house? Is it the same as leaving as the prodigal son did? And it's not. There there is a difference between sinning and living willfully, continually in sin. New tab, please, my brother, put up Hebrews 10.26. Hebrews 10.26. So we do not believe that if you sin, you just automatically lose your salvation, and then you have to get born again, again. And then if you sin, you lose your salvation, and then you got to get born again, again, what? Again. And then we've baptized you three times now, right? And then if you sin... Then you got to get born again, again, and again. And now you're on fourth baptism. No, we don't believe that. 
But we do believe that there is a conscious decision you can make to keep walking away from God like the prodigal son did to the point where you're not in relationship with him and now you have the penalty of your sin. We do believe that. And this is where it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, if we, and who is the we? The author of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul. So let's say we're not sure it's a Christian. Would we all agree that the we would be a Christian speaking? Did someone loving Jesus write the book of Hebrews? And he says, we. What does we normally include? All of us, right? We, you and me and the author there. So if we, he's putting himself there, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we, somebody say we, includes me. Come on, say it like this. We includes me. Okay, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy. Somebody say without mercy. It's scary to think about when the mercy is gone. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, verse 29, it's very key here. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot trampling on the Son of God who has treated an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them so they were sanctified and now they treat it as an unholy thing. Can you, uh, can a sinner be sanctified? No, unless they're born again, right? But as a sinner, are you sanctified? No, you're either a sinner or a saint. So this has to be a saint. Listen to it again. You trample on the blood of Jesus, this person, Treats, an, uh, treats as uh, an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and insults the spirit of grace. The Bible says it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. The Lord will judge whose people? His people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's go back to the prodigal son, the nice stuff, right? Let's go back to the nice stuff. As encouragement to you who are baptized and all new Christians, especially if you've been a Christian less than you, we always have new Christians here. Never leave the Father's house. When Jesus is telling the parable, do you think he's uh, giving us the impression that the Father and Son always got along, the Son never made mistakes, you know, he never made a mistake? That's not the impression you're supposed to get. That's not the point of the story, is it? They probably had a good relationship, but maybe the Son did some things wrong every now and then. We know the other Son, the older Son, is going to mess up and do some things here in a minute. But he was still his Son, still in the house. Somebody say, in the house. Thank you. The lesson you're supposed to get from this as a new Christian, especially for us who are uh, wanting to grow from this and never leave this, and even if you're new or been around for a while, it's going to be the same lesson you're growing from. But listen, if you've never heard this lesson, here it is. Never leave the Father's house. No matter what you do, no matter what you go through, never leave the Father's house. Example of David, he committed murder and adultery, wicked. But he didn't leave God. He, he wrote a beautiful psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. And he said, don't take your spirit from me. Lord, it's you and against you alone I have, have I sinned. Wash me and I'll be clean. So even if, God forbid, you would do the worst things, call out to Jesus and have him forgive you. Can I hear an amen? But there's something better than living with the Father and asking for forgiveness. There's something better than that. That's a part of it. But highlight, let's have a feast and celebrate, please. 
That's what you're brought into the house for. You're brought here not to just have a a get-out-of-jail-free card. You're not here just so you can have someone forgive you when you do something wrong. That's not the point. What was Jesus' point in telling this story? The Father wants to party with you. The Father wants to hang out with you. The Father wants to give you the ring that is His. The Father wants to clothe you in that which is His identity. The Father wants you in the house. There used to be a song by the Newsboys that talked about our Father's house. He has a big, big house with lots and lots of... There you go. Some of you know it better than me. I only know our Father's house. You guys keep singing it, right? That's what's up. That's how we should think about it. Our Father's got a big house, lots of rooms. That's the way we should see our life, as a continual feast and celebration with God. Do you know that even the Christian martyrs who laid down their life for Jesus never let anyone take them from the party of knowing the Father? Even on their, uh, at their martyrdom, being lit alive on fire, one of them was singing hymns. As they were drowning them and mistreating them, they were calling out to God. Stephen, as he was being stoned, can see heaven wide open. I'm coming, Father. Never let this world take the party. Never let your sin take the celebration. Just real quick before we go, I remember knowing this as a Christian when I first got saved. Like, man, every day is a good day with Jesus, man. This day, right here, no matter how bad it gets, it's still better than my best day as a sinner because in this day, I get to go through it with Jesus. Has anybody ever experienced that before? It just struck me. I'm telling you, it just just hit me like, man, I can't lose because even my worst days are really my best days because I got Jesus. And I used to say this as a slogan. I used to say it like, every day is a good day with Jesus. I don't say it as much as I used to, but at any time, you know, I used to live in the South, they would ask me like, hey, how are you doing, how are you doing? I'll say, every day is a good day with Jesus. I need to say that more. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me. But there came a time where I got into ministry. I was working in the inner city. No one was really appreciating what I was doing. They were like shooting at the bus. Literally, we had a shot at the bus. Uh, Somebody shoot at the bus. We had to hire a police officer. They were fighting in our services. I was sleeping in a house with roaches. Uh, It was just bad. I was getting discouraged. I was going out to to uh, Bourbon Street, bringing in homeless people, you know, from being on the streets. By God's grace, I brought in over 30 people into my house, and, you know, at different times, they would sober up and be like, what am I doing here? And I'm like, man, you said you want to live for Jesus. Blank you. I don't want to live for Jesus. Let me out of here. And then they would leave my house wearing my clothes that I had given them because they smelled like pee and urine. And while they're leaving my house, they're flicking me off going, you guys don't love me. You don't care about me. And I'm like, dude, you spent the night in my house and you're wearing my clothes. Talk about hypocrite much. But that's how it was. And then the Lord gave me this illustration out of this story. And I want everybody to get this. Imagine if I would have died as a sinner November 4th, 1995, a day before I gave my life to Jesus. And there in hell, I get what I rightly deserve, a life separated from God. It's not that God doesn't care. It's that God is giving me my choice, and now I am not under his mercy but his wrath. Everybody tracking with me in hell? Do you think in hell I would have spoken as much as I could to God to say something like this? Give me another chance. I was born, 
and raised in a Christian family, Jesus. Give me another chance. Send me back. You know like how it says in the story that he told another time about Lazarus and the rich man. Send me back. Don't you think some people are in hell saying, send me back, give me another chance. Come on, are you listening? This is the Lord speaking to me this day. On a day I was very discouraged. The Lord said, would you have been like that? I said, yeah, I wouldn't want to be there. It would be in pain. I would want to get out. And then he would say, what if I would have told you while you were in hell, I'll let you get out, but I want you to serve me on the mission field where you'll have no clothes, you'll have no food, you'll wear one outfit, you'll travel around, you'll die a martyr's death, and then you get to be with me. Would you make that exchange? Would you come out of, would you let me take you out of hell, make you a traveling preacher, and suffer every wrong thing you can imagine, be broke, busted, and disgusted in the sense of suffering for Christ, never have a popular ministry or name? Would you do that? And I said, yes, Lord. And he said, then why are you complaining now? Because I let you see November 5th. Are you all getting that? He said, why are you complaining now in my service when your day you got saved was November 5th? That was my grace to you, to have another day. And I felt the Lord tell me this. I'm just being honest with everybody here. Just, you know, people got baptized. They said, man, I've been baptized a bunch of times. Same here, three times. Once as an eight-year-old, don't remember much about it. Another time in the teenage youth group, I did it. And then as an adult, right, when I got saved. But I remember God speaking this to me at that same time. Joe, you turn from me now. You will die and go to hell. There are no more second. I already lost my sister drinking and driving. So I understood there are no more second and third chances for me after this time. I just knew it was the wrath of God. I knew Hebrews 10, 26 was for me. Is everybody tracking here? And so God said to me, then why would you complain now about any scenario you're in? Isn't it always better to be in this scenario with me in the Father's house than to be feeding with the pigs? And can I just encourage everybody here, especially those who have just gotten baptized. But everybody here, is there any life situation that you could ever face where you would say, it's better to do this without God? I, don't, I, I can't think of anything, and I don't get why we would ever think that. Let's say you go through the worst situation, like let's say concentration camp, Holocaust, something like that. Would you want to go the, through the Holocaust with Jesus or without Jesus? You're still going through it, right? We had uh, Lauren in our first service. She went through cancer, and she said it exactly as we said it here. I would rather have cancer and go through it with Jesus than have cancer and not go through it with Jesus. If my body is going to go through cancer, if this is going to happen, and I have the choice with Jesus or without Jesus, which one? With Jesus. And so let us be encouraged by the story of the prodigal son that it's always better in the father's house. And if I had time, I would talk about the older son. If you could scroll just so they can see it. It's the son that was there that got jelly and got upset. And he says, look, all these years I've been with you, slaving for you, never disobeyed you. Yet you never even gave me so much as a young goat to celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes came and killed the fattened calf for him, why are you doing this? Now look at what the father says. My son, the father answered, you are always with me. And everything I have is always yours. Do you see that he always had it, but he didn't recognize it? I could preach a whole nother sermon. Unhappy children of God, where you are in the house, you are actually a Christian, but you're moping around and you've lost the first love that people have that were in the baptism tank because you think God should have done X, Y, and Z for you, and you have forgotten that you have more than X, Y, and Z. You have the whole Father's house. 
instead of getting caught up well I went through this and I went through that and I'm disappointed I thought I would be at this part in my life instead of forgetting man you in the father's house you should be out there in the pigsty you are in the father's house everything is yours here let us not be like that let us be grateful for where we're at and so that's what I've said with Jesus yeah Lord I want to see this this is what I believe he put on my heart, 100,000, 50 churches, 500 around the world. But does he owe that to me? Come on, does God owe that to me? Do I have the right to storm out of his house and go to hell and him feel sorry for me because I didn't see a church of 100,000? What if my whole family, we drove separately here today. What if the next call I get is they die in a car accident? I lost my kids and the only one that was with me. I lost my wife and five kids. Hasn't it happened to others? Haven't people lost their family in an accident before? Do I have the right or you the right or them the right? They say, how dare you, God? Now you took away my family. I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to march back out here to the pig slop. Take that, God. Feel sorry for me, God. No. If I, if I go through the worst tragedy we can ever imagine, I'm going through it in the Father's house. I'm going through it feasting on the things of God. I'm going through it in the celebration that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. What is man that you're mindful? Why did you even care about me? Why didn't you hit delete when this thing first went wrong? Why did you let us be here? It must be because you love us and that you want us in the Father's house and that you proved it because we follow through the story of Luke. He proves it by dying for his own creation, raising from the dead so that all that was lost like a lost sheep, like a lost coin, like a lost son could all come back home. Let's not forget how precious the story of the prodigal son is. How precious we are as sons and daughters to God. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus who came looking for us to help us, to save us. Band and altar workers, would you come please? Thank you for your patience. I know we went a little bit longer. How many today are prodigal sons and daughters? How many want to be a prodigal son or daughter? Come home because you're not one yet. We're going to have these altar workers here. We're going to pray for you if you don't know Jesus yet. And those who do, let's just thank him right now for bringing us to the Father's house. No eye has seen nor ear has heard all that the Lord prepared for us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to bring us home back to you. I pray that we never forget what you did for us. A few moments right now, somebody have a grateful heart, right? Somebody tell Jesus thank you before we leave out of here. I pray for each one of these who got baptized, Lord, that they'll never forget what you've done for them, that they won't become ungrateful like the older son. In the name of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, just ask him to forgive you of sin. Be the Lord of your life. Say, I want to come celebrate. I want to have the new clothes, the ring, the new sandals. Every person here can be clothed with Christ today, made new to live a new life. Don't leave out here the same way you came a few more moments. These prayer workers are up here now if you even want to start coming. We're going to end with just Desi sing whatever the Lord puts on her heart. But before we dismiss, just take some time with you and the Lord right now and sing out this worship song that she, that she has on her heart because we can't forget this. Don't be so busy with all that you don't have in life that you forget what you do have, what he's done for you and I. Go ahead. Thank you. We'll dismiss after this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. For raising me up.
you need prayer, come on down. We're not in a hurry. You might be a Christian going through different things right now. Don't leave the Father's house. If you need encouragement, let us pray for you. But those of us who want to celebrate, come on, tell them thank you. Ask him to protect you and keep you. Don't let your life get wasted on the things of this world. There's nothing out there for you, saints. There's nothing out there in the world for us that can compare to knowing and loving Jesus. Your glorious grace. Hallelujah. Let's put up that old school hymn, Amazing Grace. How many want to sing that before we go? Wouldn't that be a fitting way to end this kind of a day? Baptisms, wonderful two services, prayer, people getting prayed for. Please, if you need prayer, come on up. We would love to pray with you. But I want to sing this old school hymn that God would save a wretch like me to make me a saint like him, to make me holy and righteous. And then I want us to sing the other one. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, it will be just like it begun. Amen.